little bit this morning about the characters around the Christmas story. Luke begins his account with the story of Joseph. Is that Joseph is a righteous man? When we come to Luke's gospel, and that's where we're going to be this morning, page 943, uh, page 943 in the Bibles that are in the pews. Luke's gospel talks also about righteous people. Um, the first people that he talks about in Luke chapter 1 are Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, two people that are from the priestly line in the tribe of Israel. Uh, Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth comes from uh, the tribe of Aaron, so there is pretty rich heritage in the two individuals involved. And then in Luke's story, we come to Mary, a um, very young teenager, uh, a virgin, pure. So th there is a sense as the individuals, the primary characters are sort of presented in, in both stories, in the, both accounts of Jesus' birth. There's a sense in which, intentionally, the writers are saying, these people who are about to have this incredible encounter with God through the angelic visitation, these people are the core of Israel. Now, one of the reasons that's important is because in the previous hundreds of years before this time, well, all started back when the Israelites were taken into exile. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the Israelites were taken out of Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, or what we would call today Iraq. And then after they were taken to Babylon and under the Babylonians, and then the Persians came along, and then some of them returned to Jerusalem, but not all of them did. And so there's this history of the Jews being scattered sort of all over the Middle East. Some went back to Jerusalem, some went back to Judea, but a lot of them stayed scattered. And in that time, the question was, as if you might be familiar with the song, is how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Because up till that time, when they had been taken in exile, everything happened in the temple. Now that they had been taken away from the temple, now that they had been taken away from their primary sacred spot, they had to figure out, how do we praise God in foreign territory? And so what happened is, a couple things developed. The idea of a synagogue. The idea of a place to worship in that local town if you can't get back to Jerusalem. And so the synagogue developed. And along the same time, rabbis sort of started to fly um, their trade, I guess you could say, um, in, in local areas because they needed teachers, they needed people to instruct them in the law, in the Old Testament, in the words of the prophets. And so the rabbis in the synagogue kind of developed. And in that time period, there was all kinds of various views of the promises of God and how God was going to fulfill his promises. And you can imagine if you've gone from having sort of a centralized, localized place of worship for the whole country, now you, they're all scattered and now you have individual people kind of teaching. There's all kinds of variations. And so in that time between Malachi the last prophet and now the birth of Jesus, there was all kinds of ideas about what God was going to do and what the Messiah was going to be like and what the Messiah was going to do when he came. And even if they agreed on some of the core promises and if they understood, say, Jeremiah chapter 31 where God promises a new covenant is going to come or Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 where God is going to do a new thing and turn their hearts of stone into hearts of 
flesh to the promises of Isaiah, where God is going to surprise them with what he's going to do, there was this variety and range. And I think you can just imagine. I mean, we've talked before about how many denominations there are in the world. You can get a pretty good idea of how many variations there were in Judaism, in the people of Israel, as to what God was going to do. No different than we are today. One rabbi had this idea. One rabbi had another idea. One writer would put this down. So we've got all those books that were written between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Apocrypha, the Pseudepigrapha, that are sometimes reliable historically, sometimes reliable in terms of how they handle the Word of God, and sometimes not. Sometimes speculative, sometimes mystical, sometimes very off the wall. So you get this whole range. And that's really important then when we come to the story of Jesus, because when Luke is writing his gospel, he wants his readers to know that these people are not these sort of fringe people who have been influenced by maybe some Gentile or some Babylonian or some Persian mysticism or whatever. These are people from the core of Judaism. Oh, come all you faithful in that place. These people who are encountering these angels are the faithful. They're the solid ones. They're the righteous ones. So that as the story of Jesus goes out and is told, it starts with people who are at the core. These are not the rebels. These are not the aberrant groups of Judaism. These are not the marginal ones. These are, these are the faithful. These are the core. So there is that continuity that's really important in the presentation and, and in the characters that are involved in the announcement of Jesus' birth. But today we're talking about John's birth, page 943, Luke chapter 1. We talked about the priestly background for John's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And the story starts, Luke starts out the story with, it's, it's Zechariah's time to offer incense in the holy place. I don't know if you know much about how it worked to be a priest in those days, but to be in the holy place, they're, they're in the cycle of priestly service and priestly ministry, two weeks a year, a priest may be in the group that in the end goes chosen to offer incense in the holy place. So this was Zachariah's turn to be serving in the temple. He is the one who was chosen to offer incense in the holy place. Way to understand it, it's like, it's like the pinnacle of his priestly experience. It's like, it's never gonna get any better than this for a priest in the Aaronic priesthood in, in the temple. This is like as good as it's gonna get. I was trying to think, what would that look like for a pastor in the Alliance? What would be the pinnacle? I don't think there is, I don't think there is anything to compare. Because this is, this is, this is the priest invited to offer incense in the holy place. Nobody, nobody has access to the holy place except these priests who are serving occasionally and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. My first thought was, well, maybe a, a parallel would be to be invited to speak at general assembly. About numbers. Nowhere near with this Zachariah talking about numbers. I mean by the priest of the largest church in the world. So 
episode. The closest thing, the closest thing we have, what happened to Zachariah, and that opportunity, and when this opportunity came, I think it's pretty simple. Serving community. That's Do we treat community as that? I don't think we do. I think it's hard. I think we're distracted. I think we're busy planning other things and trying to. But it. But to understand, to understand this moment in Zachariah's life when he is invited to go into the holy place to offer the burning of incense after the after the offering after the sacrifice of the animals. It is. It is. It is, it is the pinnacle. It is, it is the ultimate in his ministry. And verse 11, following your Bible, page 943, chapter 1, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And we saw that, right, when we talked about Mary and how when Mary went to see Elizabeth and Elizabeth's baby leaped, when Mary came into their presence, John was filled with the Spirit even before birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, interesting, he, he, he kept his job. How many preachers, if they lost their voice, would be able to keep his job? When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and in these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So again, another angelic announcement. Another miracle is going to happen. Zechariah, like Mary, asks the angel a question. Zechariah's question is, verse 18, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Mary's question, back in chapter 1, verse 34, just to remind you, Mary's question is, How shall this be since I am a virgin? Mary isn't punished for her question. 
That's right. Thanks for his money. I've often wondered how come, how come Zachariah, Zachariah's question is doubt. Mary's question isn't doubt, but it's still a question. And I've looked at all the commentators, and I've gone back into the Greek and the language and the terminology and the grammar and all that stuff. And there's all different kind of explanations as to why Zechariah gets punished and Mary doesn't. To me, there's still two people asking a question. I don't think there's any clues in the words that are used. I don't think there's any clues in the way it's said. I think it goes back to what the angel said and what Mary said about what God was going to do through the baby. And it talks about God, it talks about God knowing the heart. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the question Zachariah said. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the question Mary asked. But I think it helps me to understand what's going on, to know that God knows the intent of the heart. And there was something in Zachariah, something in his question, that proclaimed out. Not the words he said, but in his heart. Questioning God is not a sin. Job questioned God. Jeremiah questioned God. Jeremiah's questions were not a sin. Jeremiah's attitude was The Psalms are filled with questions of God. The problem is not questioning God. Neither is not all doubt is sin. In case you're inclined to think any doubt of God is sin, I just to hang on until we get to John, Luke chapter 7, a little later on in the new year, where John is in prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. Are you the one? Not a word about doubt. Not a word about doubt. So doubt isn't always a sin either. And then you look at Zechariah and the punishment he had, and some of us are inclined to say, well, when there's sin, there's punishment. When there's sin, there's suffering. When there's sin, there's going to be hardship. Well, not all suffering is because of sin. Not all sickness is because of sin. Not all hardship is because of sin. But sometimes it is. So we go back to our community. That's the question we ask. Paul asked the, the question as much as a command, examine yourself. Examine yourself. In that holy moment, examine yourself. For Zachariah was punished for his doubt. Now Zachariah enters what Susanna's prayer, a time of transition. It, it, it's interesting. If you're reading the Bible, read it with the lens of being in transition, being in, in moving from place to place, in, in a time when you are sort of, we've used the phrase no man's land, in a time when you feel lost. Read the Bible with the lens of being in transition. It's amazing how many, how many individuals in God's Word find themselves in transition. Zachariah finds himself in transition. Like I said, if it was a preacher who wasn't able to speak, that would be a very difficult, difficult moment of transition. 
what else am I going to do? Obviously, Zachariah was able to continue his service, but things were vastly different. We talked last week about how miracles, when God does a miracle in our life, it kind of sets us in a new path, sets us on a new track, puts us in a new situation. Certainly for, for Elizabeth and Zachariah, certainly for Mary and Joseph, the miracle that's going to happen puts them in a whole new experience of life. So there's the characters in the Christmas story. There's, there's Joseph. There's Mary and Elizabeth. Young and old, right? Teenage girl and a very old woman who's beyond the years, beyond, well past the years of bearing children. There's Joseph. There's Mary and Elizabeth. There's Zachariah. There's the wise men, the Magi. These Persian Gentile guys in the East. Followed the star. There's the shepherds. Shepherds weren't very well respected in in Israel. They were they were the poor. They were the unclean because they dealt with animals that were unclean. And you can, I mean, obviously the, the lamb and the sheep ends up in the temple, but but shepherds were kind of a disreputable bunch of people. Um, Joseph, Mary, Elizabeth, Zachariah, the wise men. Persians, Gentiles, shepherds, marginalized, unclean, dirty. And then there's the two old people in the temple that come a little later in Luke's gospel, Simeon and Anna, right? Interesting group of people. Who's the one who stumbles? Who's the one who stumbles at the announcement about what's going to happen? Not the Gentiles, who know very little about the Old Testament, who know very little about the promise. And they know there's something happening. Who stumbles? They go right to the. They get it right to the end. They're late getting there, but they get there. The shepherds, who nobody wants to hang out with, these dirty guys working in the field, those dirty animals they work with. They get it. They do exactly as soon as the angels are gone. Right? Joseph gets it. He listens to the angel. He does the right thing. Mary and Elizabeth get it. Simeon and Anna get it. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. It's a religious guy. It's the religious, it's the spiritual leader who misses what God is doing. It's the spiritual leader who stumbles. The Bible is pretty clear that those, those of us who have the responsibility of spiritual leadership are more accountable than anybody else. It's interesting to me that it's the religious guy, it's the spiritual leader who misses. If nothing else, those of us who are spiritual leaders, those of us who are teachers, those of us who are leaders in the church, who's the first one who's going to say, not the other person, not the other person. Over to verse 57, the story of John's birth. After uh, the angel has visited Mary, verse 57, picks up the story of John's birth. I think most of you know the story of John's birth. I know the birth of Jesus was sort of the one that we tend to focus on the most, but it's the story of John's birth, and Elizabeth is going to have her baby. She gives birth to a son. She says he's going to be called John. Everybody goes, no, no, you've got nobody in the family that has that name. And verse 62, 
They made signs to his father. Cause, so he's, he's been nine months or more in this silent state. I don't know anything about how he handled it. But he's been nine months unable to speak. He made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name to name the child, and he asked for a writing tablet, and everyone's amazement, he wrote, his name is John, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loose, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things, and in fact, Luke has a pattern, and Luke is going to talk a lot about awe and wonder, not just in the, in the birth of Jesus, and the stories around the birth of Jesus, but throughout the rest of the gospel, throughout the book of Acts, awe and wonder if you would read through Luke and Acts, you would find awe and wonder. It's just kind of a popping up everywhere in the response to what God is doing. Verse 66, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, when is this child going to be? What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him. And then Zachariah bursts in the song. Zachariah's Christmas carol. Verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice how often in the birth of Jesus, the filling of the Spirit, it, it, if you're reading through the, the first couple of chapters of Luke, highlight the phrase filled with the Spirit. You'll be amazed how often each character, each individual is filled with the Spirit. And so here's Zechariah. He's been punished. He's been punished for his sin. He's been punished for his doubt. He has acted in faith. He has affirmed what God has said and done what God has said, and now he launches into song. Verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So all these promises of God going back to the, the king, Going back, he's going to go even further back to Abraham, but the promises of a king who would reign forever on the throne of David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, verse 71, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Now, what would that mean to you? One of the phrases that came up in the um, in Psalm 24 about the uh, the Lord mighty in battle is one of the phrases in the, in the psalm that's presented. The Lord mighty in battle. So if you're reading the psalm in those hundreds of years between the last prophet and Jesus, and Psalm 24, and the Lord mighty in what's your picture? How is God going to be mighty in battle for you? He's going to be a king like David. He's going to be a powerful king. He's going to be a king who defeats the Philistines and every other enemy that gave Israel rest from their enemies around them. That's your picture. That's your image. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. This is going back to Abraham. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's, that's the hope. That's the prayer. Remember when the angel appeared to Zechariah and said, your prayer has been heard? Two points of debate on that. What were they praying for? Some would say they were praying for a baby. 
Others would say they were praying for the promise of the Israel. I tend to lean towards the view that says they were praying for the promise of the Israel. Like Hannah, like Simeon, they were anticipating God's fulfillment of his word. I think the fact that she's going to have a baby, and this is going to happen because of a baby, is coincidental. I, there's nothing in the in the passage that gives any implication that Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying for a baby. She was well beyond childbearing years. They were just serving the Lord. But what they were praying for, I believe, is the promises of God, the fulfillment of God's promises that would happen in their life. And so, those are the promises Zachariah first talked about. And that, he says nothing about, thank you, Lord, for this child. Nothing about, we waited and waited and waited. There's nothing there. It, it, I think it's pretty clear that the answer to prayer is their prayer for the nation of Israel. That the God of Israel would be the God, and Israel would be the promise of Abraham, to whom all the, all the nations would be. That's the prayer now he talks to John. It's like he turns to the child as he's praying, as he's singing, and he says, verse 76, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. We know the story of John the Baptist. It's interesting, because in that whole thing about his birth back in chapter 1, there's all kinds of joy and rejoicing when it's announced. And, and Zechariah, there's all kinds of joy around the birth of John. But John's ministry is... Hmm, Telling people to repent and telling people to turn from their sin and to turn from God. But don't forget there is this underlying joy that is the basis of the good news. It has been said where there's good news, there's bad news. The bad news is the recipient of the good news. You have to accept and acknowledge the bad news. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. That's the bad news. We need our sins forgiven. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet in the path. That's the good news. John's role is an agent of reconciliation and restoration. John's role is to allow the good news to come that will guide us in the path of peace. Guide our feet in the path of peace. The prince of peace is not lost. Ah, but he's not the kind of prince they were counting on. He's not the kind of king they were expecting. They were looking for the Lord, mighty in battle. That's not what they got. That's not what the path of peace is going to look like. It wasn't about an assertion of power. Peace is something the angels are going to talk about. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Simeon is going to talk about peace. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Peace is that great Hebrew word. Alone. best word I can think of to, to help us understand what shalom means in Hebrew is the phrase human flourishing. Human flourishing. 
Shalom is about whole, fullness of life, all of your life. It's more than just being settled. It's about wholeness. It's about our whole being. It's about an all-encompassing fullness and abundance. It's about all you were created to be, being in sync with your creator's purpose for you. That's what shalom is. Nothing rattling in us. Nothing rattling. That's shalom. More than settledness, but certainly settledness is part of it. It's about all of our being. Holy, totally encompassed by God. Peace. Shalom. Zechariah heard about John's role back in chapter 1, verse 17. This idea of peace, although it's not used, chapter 1, 17, he will go before the Lord in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. In the hearts of the parents and children, restoration, reconciliation. It gives depth to the idea of preparation. John, John just wasn't, it, it was to be a deep soul searching change. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is hard work. I think we've learned a little bit of that, even from watching the truth and reconciliation. Reconciliation is hard work. Well, that wasn't the first truth and reconciliation. South Africa had one and it started in 1995. I thought that was the first one. There was one in Chile even before that. Two warring sides that hate each other and bring them together. You might even say, wow, only three? Given all the hatred in the room? The line from the Christmas carol may ring through. And in despair, I bowed my head. Peace that is reconciliation. Peace that is restoration of a relationship. We like to talk about, I think, it might be too hard on this, but I think it's tricky. We like to talk about the We don't like to talk about the peace that is reconciliation. We're much easier with sort of that idea of a peace inside me. I remember hearing a story, I don't know if it was an apocryphal story or a story, some mission leader or ministry leader that had made this big decision to change things and, and put things over in their ministry. And, and his answer to his staff was, well, I have a speech about it. comment that was made, not like him, but another around the table, yeah, he has a piece about it, he's got peace. And often that's how that works, right? The one person, I feel a piece about it. And you know, it's not much more, really, it's not much more than singing the eagle. That's not the piece we're talking about. It's the piece of reconciliation. Two individuals or two groups at odds with one another. And John's role is to turn the hearts of the parents towards the children and the hearts of those who are against God towards God. And all points in between. Romans chapter 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the sight of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. Or maybe it's neighbor. Maybe you're having Maybe when you share his be at peace, not just with everyone in your church family. Be at every be at peace with everyone. There's no qualification there. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Not easy to get along with. I mean, I know you'd like everybody to think we are. As much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, do what leads. At the end of the two letters that we have in the Bible to a group of Christians that were really at odds with each other and lost, Paul closes off what we know as Second Corinthians, and there's probably one or two other letters that he wrote in between. Here's what Paul closes off his letter to this fractious church. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. So after all the problems the Corinthians have caused for Paul, after all the problems they've caused for each other and the division and the fracture, and how they treated one another, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Now, if you know Second Corinthians, you know there's a brother who was judged and disciplined. But that, that was talked about the whole picture. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Ask the worship team this morning before we come in. Think of personally. The prayer request was that we would prepare for We would be in peace. Live in peace. May God love in peace. As far as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Who has made peace for us? We could go back. We were in Ephesians chapter 2 and the whole uh, dividing the middle wall of partition that Jesus has done by dying on the cross. He has made peace. He has made peace. Not just for you and Gentile. All who call him Finally, brothers and sisters, 
through two toes. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Give one mind. Give them peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Last week there was a song that Rick had chosen called Glory. It said, let there be peace and let it start with me. And that's also just a song that says the same thing. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to give a benediction now. And you have to say something. I'm going to give a benediction now. And you I want to think about that. Uh, That's a hard work. All I got to do is get across and do the hard work that it was to do. Bring peace to our The responsibility to live at peace. Father, thank you for these stories and scriptures. Thank you for the personal aspects of it that we can relate to, that we can we can fit in Thank you, Lord, for how Zachariah went from a person who was at the pinnacle of his ministry, of his, of his service, and fell, stumbled, messed up, and Yet, Lord, you brought him back to that place where he, he exalted and praised you and he points us to his son. Lord, may the lives of peace be teaching you. Be used by you to point others to Lord, 